pastor uh, mentioned that I kind of, I kind of teased you into coming this week by saying uh, I'm going to give a fire and brimstone sermon today. Uh, well, well, the truth is, you know, I hear every now and then that uh, us preachers talk too much about love. You know, f- from the lectern here in our worship services, in the songs we sing. It's all kind of, you know, well, God loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus loves you, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you, you should love one another. That's the way you should walk out of these doors, loving one another. You know, love, love, love. And pastor, sometimes that's just too comfortable. It's, it doesn't move us into action as Christians. Pastor, sometimes we need fire and brimstone sermons, huh? that talk about the wrath of God and judgment and shape up as a Christian or ship out. Next slide. So today, and by the way, uh, 21 young people are going uh, to be confirmed down in the uh, 1 o'clock hour uh, in this day when uh, they stand before the altar and renew their vows. You can turn to the next, next slide too. You got the love of God there on one side, you got the wrath of God on the other. I guess we need them both, huh? But those uh, 21 confirmands are going to, you know, repeat the, uh, the vows that their parents and their sponsors made for them in the baptism. Now 14 or so years later, they're going to make them themselves. It's a great day for those young people and for their families. Uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm going to meet your demands today. I'm going to talk to you about the wrath of God. And I'm going to say to you, God commands. I say he commands. He doesn't leave it as an option. It's not an elective he commands us to love one another. So there's the wrath of God. We've got to love one another, huh? As he first loved us. And that's what we're going to talk about to that. So take that if you want fire and brimstone. You've got to love one another. Don't you ever get sick of hearing of the love of God in Jesus Christ from this lectern, huh? Well, let me get started with a little mind game, huh? There are different places. I want you to think about them. Places, locations, buildings that we just have to visit in life, don't we? I say have to visit. Now, I'm not talking here about Mitchell's ice cream. Okay? That's not a have to. Cedar Point, that's not a have to. That's a get to, okay? That's a want to visit place. I'm talking about the have to places, you know. Kids, school. You have to go to school, okay? Or uh, how about, now I don't want to insult anybody here, how about the colonoscopy office? or the local funeral home, or the Weight Watchers weigh-in session. You getting the idea? All right, those are all places that we don't want to go to, but we have to go to, and there are some that are worse than others. I haven't heard any of you lately say, I get to go to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Well, I wonder what people would say about that have-to-want-to thing if I said St. Paul Lutheran Church and school. Have to or want to? Now let's examine that one with a little bit of honesty here this morning. Do we think about the church the same way we think about those other places that I've mentioned? Is this a place that we have to go to or is there more to it? Huh? And I'm thinking here today about the people who sure wish that they could be here today. I'm thinking of our homebound members who would give their eye teeth if they could be here with us. Or I'm thinking about those who are maybe uh, ill or 
you know, still wrestling with COVID or recovering from surgeries or whatever. And, uh, and they would love to be here with us. Or I'm thinking about the men and women stationed all around the country and the world serving in the armed forces. Yeah, yeah God bless them all. And now I want to say something just to those of you who are worshiping with us online today. You know, technology since uh, March of 2019 has been a real blessing to us because it has enabled us to be linked together at least through online means. And we are grateful for many of you members who have continued your ongoing support of our ministry. That is all true. And then there are those of you who are in other states and even other countries who uh, worship with us in this amazing technological kind of a way. But here's the deal, folks. If you are worshiping online just because of the comfort and the ease by which you are able to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, you are still disconnected from us, from the love that we should be showing to one another face to face, gathered here week after week in the Christian fellowship. And this is not a good permanent relationship. It's not a good thing that we should continue forever and ever. And I think I can show that very simply by taking a look at the New Testament church and how they loved one another. And of course they didn't have technology, that was not a thing that they had to wrestle with. But they did have to wrestle with persecution and all kinds of other things. And our gospel lesson for today says it loud and clear. It says, a new commandment I give to you, Jesus, that you love one another just, here's the way, just as I have loved you. That's the way you're supposed to love one another. And then he goes on to say, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I said this was part of our Lord's uh, conversation with his disciples on Maundy Thursday. He had washed their feet. He had eaten the Passover supper with them. He had instituted the Holy Supper for them. And after all of that, he wanted to talk to them yet before he was arrested that night. He wanted to talk to them about the importance of love. You know Maundy? You've heard sermons, I'm sure, on Maundy Thursday where they translate, the pastor translates that Latin into English, and it means mandate. Jesus gave his mandate, his disciples a mandate, two of them, as a matter of fact, that evening. He said in the words of institution, he said, do this, command, as often as you drink this cup in remembrance of me. That's a mandate. And then he gave a second mandate. And it was kind of the secret for how we're supposed to share that amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ and in his body and blood with the world around us. He said, love one another. How? Just like I'm going to show you love, and then all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I've had a lot of fun over the years in Bible classes uh, grabbing a hold of that last phrase that Jesus spoke that night. I, in the middle of a Bible class, I'll say, remember how Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you speak in tongues. No, that's not what he said. By this all people will know my disciples that you pray every day. No, he didn't say that either. He said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you are Missouri Synod Lutherans. <laughs> no, he didn't say that either. He said, if you love one another, 
if you love one another. If we follow this mandate, it will be the foundation for all the witness that we are to make to the rest of the world, right? In this dog-eat-dog -dog world that we are living in, the culture of our time, our time right now, the way in which we show love for one another ought to stick out like a sore thumb in the midst of all of the mess in the culture all around us. The worse our culture drifts into selfishness and hatefulness and divisive behavior. I mean, that's all we hear about these days is how we are all divided against one another, huh? And in the process, ignoring the call of the gospel, the more it should become obvious, the worse the world gets, our culture gets, the more it should be obvious. And you know what? There's something refreshing about Christians. We ought not see that among Christians. In the second century, there was a church father by the name of Tertullian who wrote in his apology the words that are on the screen. He said, the pagans said of the Christians, look, see how they love one another? Why, they are ready to lay down their lives for one another. <laughs> that was an accusation that the unbelievers recognized by the love of Christians. Well, now we ought to ask the question, how did those early Christians love one another? If we examine the record of the Holy Church, the early church, rather, in the Holy Scriptures, in the New Testament, we will find out how they did it. They used Christ's love as a model for the way they lived. Luther said, you know, we all ought to be little Christs. We ought to imitate Jesus. And that's, of course, what St. Paul had in mind when he wrote to the Philippians. He said, have this mind among you which was in Christ Jesus, that though he was God, he did not grasp on to his Godhead, but made himself nothing, took upon the nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Yeah, Christ set the bar for love pretty high. Through servanthood, through humility, through obedience. That's a pretty high bar. I want to achieve it. Do you want to achieve it? I hope you do. I suggest we're going to need some help. We're going to need some assistance to do that. And the first thing we ought to understand about that early church is they gathered together. They gathered together. That's the first lesson I offer to you in how the early church loved like Christ loved. Right after Pentecost, we are told that the early Christians devoted themselves to one another. In Acts 2, we read, all the believers were together. They had everything in common. Every day they continued to meet together. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They praised God, and they enjoyed the favor of all the people. What a description. We are never meant to be in spiritual isolation. Now, I know it is true. Nobody can believe for you. Your faith is, in fact, between you and the Holy Spirit of God. But I'm telling you, we were never meant to, be, to exist apart from one another. As in any human relationship, absence does not make the heart grow fonder. No, it doesn't. We love Christ by assembling together, tabernacling, the New Testament says, together. Huh? Gathering, gathering. I love that old spiritual. Shall we gather at the river? Yeah. 
And the second example of how Christ loved one another, how the Pentecost church set the high bar, huh? They grew together. How the church loved to grow together. Of course, Jesus was a great teacher. He only had three years. And he used it marvelously to link all the teachings of the Old Testament prophecy prophets to himself, right? As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, we read, In former days God spoke to us through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through Jesus, through his Son. The Pentecost church, right there in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, says they devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. The Berean Christians, we only know one thing about the Berean Christians. It's recorded for us in Acts chapter 16. We are told the Berean Christians were known for the fact that they studied the Scriptures daily. Studied the Scriptures daily. The Ephesian Christians, Paul warned them. He's, he wrote, wrote to them and said, you got to be careful because there are so many lies out there that if you aren't growing up strong in the Word of the Lord, you're going to be like a reed that's shaken in the wind. And the writer to the Hebrews, I think, really put the exclamation point on this thing when he said, we have much to say about this. It's talking about the, the will and ways of God. But he said, it is hard to explain because you are so slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you still need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word. You need milk, not solid food? That's wrong. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use train themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Yeah, uh, the love of an infant, it's a beautiful thing. Sure it is, but it's largely self-centered. To love like Christ, we have to grow up. We need to advance. We need to press on. Those are all words right out of Paul's letters in the New Testament. We need to grow up, Peter says, in every way unto Christ who is our head. And speaking of growing up into Christ, you know, maturing, that means we got to love like a servant. We got to love through servanthood. The gospel says Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give. So there's the third G up there. We got to gather together. We got to grow, right? And we got to learn what servanthood is really all about. Christ-like love means that we give without counting the cost, that we serve without expecting anything in return that we seek to lose our lives because we know when that happens, we really find our lives, our meaning and purpose. We'll accept the last place in line if it is enabling somebody else who needs it to become first. We get it all straight by understanding sacrificial love. That's the way Christ loved. And that's the way we ought to love one another. Besides, that's the only kind of life that will last all the way into eternity. In John 15, Jesus says to his disciples, it's that wonderful chapter on, I am the vine, you are the branches, you know, you got to stay connected to me. And then it goes right on to talk about loving one another. And then Jesus says, if you stay connected to me, if you try to live your life in my example, like I loved you, 
then that love is going to last, it's going to bear fruit that lasts into eternity. And then the fourth ingredient for Christ-like love. It's said very bluntly by Jesus in our text, the one that I read about 16 minutes ago. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving like Christ loved is the foundation for all the rest of the witness we give to the world around us. As a matter of fact, if we don't, the witness we give to the world around us is phony. They will just call us a bunch of hypocrites. But if we love like Christ, sacrificial, obedient, huh? then we will witness that we are truly Christ's disciples. Well, uh, maybe about enough of that. I'm going to end with a story now. A story about Lawrence of Arabia. When the, when the men who fought with Lawrence at the end of World War I got to celebrate a little bit, Lawrence of Arabia took his desert men to Paris. Beautiful Paris. Oh my, those desert men had never seen things like they saw in Paris. All the beautiful monuments and the museums and the lights, huh? And yet none of all of that impressed these men more than the faucet in the bathtub of their hotel room. They turned it on and off. And then they turned it on again and off. They were amazed that with a twist of the wrist, they could have all the water they wanted, these desert men. And when the time came for them to leave Paris, Lawrence found them in the bathroom with wrenches trying to disconnect the faucets. The men said, we need these faucets. If we have them, we will have all the water we want. Of course, they didn't understand the role of a faucet. Faucets carry water, but they don't produce it. Faucets are a tool, but they are not the source. The valve that works in a faucet might direct water, but it does not generate water. We know that, right? Or do we? Through what faucet has God poured his amazing love into your heart? Maybe a faithful church or a, a prayerful spouse or godly parents, huh? time-tested traditions, a girlfriend in college or maybe a grandma that's been praying for you. God's water passes through many faucets. But the treasure is not the plumbing. The treasure is the giver of that great love. And so the next question is, we are the faucet that dispenses the love of God to one another. And that becomes the witness then by which all people know that we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ if we love one another. Don't, you don't need fire and brimstone from this lectern. You need the love of God in Jesus Christ. Don't ever get sick of the call to Christ that comes from God's holy word. Amen. Will you bow your heads to pray? Gracious God, Heavenly Father, uh, use us as faucets, uh, dispensers of your great love. There's a world that is dry, that is parched, living in the desert of sin. And you have given us the living water. You have given us the example of how to live our days. May we use, O oh Lord, the, uh, the four G's that are slowly becoming the vision of what this congregation exists for. And we gather together and grow together and, 
give servant lives together and go together with the love of God in Jesus Christ that this world so desperately needs. All praise be to you as we worship you this day. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.